what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. This episode of The Caregiver Community is sponsored by Pace at Home. During this uncertain time, Pace at Home is enrolling participants who wish to continue to remain at home. Partnering with families, Pace at Home provides caring medical support for all of our program's participants. Visit us on our website or give us a call at 828-468-3980 to talk with a representative that can discuss with you the Pace at Home all-inclusive medical approach. Pace at Home is the champion for seniors wishing to remain in their community. Welcome to the Caregiver Community. This is a place where we talk about the joys and the challenges of caring for our aging parents as well as caring for ourselves. I am Frances Hall. I am the founder and executive director of ACAP, Adult Children of Aging Parents. In this podcast, we're talking about strategies for paying for care for a loved one. Alexis Williams is the executive director of Caregiver Connect, Inc., Caregiver Connect's mission is to serve family caregivers by providing educational opportunities, encounter groups, and supportive caregiver navigation. Her previous experiences as a a senior advocate, social worker, respite care director, placement specialist, and care manager are great building blocks to the mission of Caregiver Connect. She is a graduate of Georgia State University with a bachelor's degree in mental health and human services and has an undergraduate certificate in gerontology. She also is a certified senior advisor. When not at work, Alexis enjoys time with her family, traveling, going places with friends, and working in her yard. Hi, Alexis. We are glad to be talking with you about a topic that is so important to so many people. Thank you, Francis. I'm delighted to be here today. Thank you. Okay, so there are lots of different situations that, 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 you know, people are going, oh, my word, how do we do this? How do we pay for this care? So let's kind of walk through some, some scenarios. One that is probably the most common is just mom or dad needs some help and they need help at home. How do we go about paying for that? How do we pay for caregivers and professionals who can come to the home and help our parents? So first, this is a great question, and I think it's a very common question. I think it's important to have an understanding that most in-home care, meaning home care that is not medical, is not covered by Medicare and most Medicare Advantage plans. So this type of service is usually a private pay opportunity, meaning that someone pays for it via cash, check, credit card, something like that, that it's not something that's typically covered through your insurance. So if it's a private pay opportunity, that means you have to have some understanding of where the money's going to come from to be able to pay for these services. So I often tell families, you know, it's a good time to sit down and really kind of go through the loved one's budget and try to figure out what finances you have available to pay for the care. And, and then that way, if, if you 
if you figure out you only have X amount, then perhaps there's going to have to be a plan to come up with additional funds. But you have to to take the time to go through and figure out what the expenses are that you're going to pay out. Because so oftentimes you're still maintaining a home, you're still maintaining your bills each month. So you have to figure out how you're going to continue or additionally pay for extra help. Second, I always tell families while they're sitting down and going through this process, um, as they're thinking about the bills, notice if you're paying for some form of insurance. Are you paying for medical insurance? Are you paying for dental insurance? Are you paying for life insurance, long-term care insurance? You know, if you have a crisis that occurs and maybe the conversation didn't happen about this is what I have to work with each month to pay for X, Y, Z, then it's important to look through for most people, the the check statement, you know, from the bank to see where the expenses are going out to see if there perhaps is a policy that might be covered for that. So you just have to take advantage of the time that you're, you're dressing, looking for where the money's going so that you can figure out what money you might have to pay for the care that you all need or that the loved one needs. So, so possibly, let me, I don't want to sidetrack you, but I'm just thinking it is very possible that the adult child or children who are getting involved or the loved ones who are getting involved may not know details, may not know that mom and dad have taken out some kind of policy that could be helpful. And so in going through bank statements or credit card statements or whatever, then they can possibly identify, oh, here is somewhere we could go that might be able to help with the exact situation that we're bumping into. Exactly. And if it oftentimes what I've seen is perhaps people have retired from a company And so their retirement pension or their retirement check that they received often, which is an automatic deposit, reflects deductions that have occurred before the the money, the pension, is deposited in the bank. And so often there's no record of that in the home. Like what is being deducted from their monthly expenses, their pension, before it's deposited in the bank? So I... Again, I tell families, sit down and try to figure out this monthly budget that you're working with, this deposit that goes into the bank, what is, where did that deposit come from? And how did, how did they come up with that amount? Was there a long-term care insurance p- premium taken out of that? Was there a medical insurance premium taken out of that? That way you, you, you might uncover some additional support that you didn't anticipate. Really good to know. Really good to know. Because, yeah, sometimes it's sort of like there are the, the potentially some of these hidden pockets of mm-hmm. funding that we don't even know exist. So that's really good. Okay. Anything else about any of that before I move on to a next question? Okay. Okay. Um, you, you talked about Medicare a second ago. So let's kind of unpack because so many people think that Medicare is going to be the panacea and Medicare is going to cover 
long-term care, short-term care, all of that kind of stuff. So talk a little about what Medicare really does cover, what it does not cover, you know, how it works within home care, how it works with assisted living or, uh, yeah, or assisted living or long-term care or rehab, you know, just kind of walk us through what Medicare does and does not do. All right. So that's a loaded question, Francis. Let's just start with it's important to define Medicare and what your loved one has. If they're what kind of Medicare they're paying for, because now in the world that we live in, there are various and sundry Medicare's meaning there's a Medicare Part A, there's a Medicare Part B, there's a Medicare Part C, and a Medicare Part D. And I'm not going to get bogged down in that. What I'm going to tell people to do is to seek out an insurance card and to look to see if you can find something that says that your loved one is paying a premium for a type of Medicare. More and more people now are paying for a Medicare Advantage plan. Again, we're not going to get into what that means, but typically where people are interested in what Medicare cost, what it pays for is hospitalization and then sometimes it covers uh, doctor office visits and then occasionally it'll pay percentages of like durable medical equipment. It will pay for certain immunizations, certain screenings. But I think where most people are in need of support, where they start asking these questions, they ask, you know, does Medicare help with light housekeeping? Does Medicare help with uh, meal prep? Does Medicare help? And as a general rule, when people maybe are in the hospital and they're going home and they say mom needs care at home and Medicare is going to cover it, a doctor a physician assistant or nurse practitioner has ordered skilled nursing care, physical therapy, occupational therapy, respiratory therapy, speech therapy, and sometimes they've ordered a session or two or three with a licensed social worker. But that what that means is Medicare will reimburse for those services to come into the home, but people need to know that that's a short term service. It's not every day. Um, typically, it's it's billed by the hour. So you might have one discipline coming in and doing one hour of service. So you might have PT on one day, OT on the next day, and nursing care on the third day. But they're very rarely more than an hour. And it, it really depends on your condition as to how much time the professional will be encouraged or provided uh, coverage to come into your home. So in my mind, Medicare does not cover in-home care. Medicare often covers home health care. And health being the key word there that is requiring a licensed professional to come in and do some type of service under those disciplines. And to answer your last question, does Medicare pay for assisted living? To my knowledge, Medicare is a federal program and it does not pay for assisted living coverage. Right, right. Okay, okay. Yeah, because I think that 
probably of all the questions beyond how do we pay for the care. I think the, there's so much confusion about Medicare. So thank you for sort of explaining and unpacking some of that. It, if it helps folks, in my mind, Medicare is really kind of crisis oriented. You're in the hospital for a certain reason or you're you know, going to, for it's, maybe we should say it's crisis and preventative. The, the annual well check that Medicare will pay for covers a lot of screenings, a lot of tests. Um, and that well visit is comp, you know, Medicare will pay for, but it, it, Medicare is not the avenue to go down to think that that's going to pay for in-home care. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, really good for people to know. Okay, so we haven't really talked about Medicaid, mm -hmm. which is a very different program than Medicare, but just real basic are the, you know, we've talked about, you've talked about Medicare. Is Medicare going to be the same from state to state? Because we have so many people who are listening to these podcasts from across the country. Is, is what we have in North Carolina, is that going to be the same for somebody somewhere else? And that's really a question for Medicare and Medicaid, if you want to step your toe into that pond. Uh, more like an ocean, Francis. <laughs> well, of, um, course, of course. So, so let's think of it this way. Medicare, as I've mentioned, is a federal program. So technically, every year... CMS, which is the governing body of Medicare, puts out a, a booklet for the guidelines for Medicare. So the idea is that, yes, from state to state, Medicare guidelines would be the same. What I see oftentimes, it's who's interpreting those guidelines from state to state. So, for example, it's like anything else. You've got a human saying <laughs> that mom should get home health and he or she has to discern whether or not that they meet those guidelines where Medicare would pay for that. So, but yes, as a general rule, the Medicare guidelines should be the same for every single state. When it comes to Medicaid, that's a completely different ballgame. And I always say, medic in my mind, I think of Medicaid as a state assistant program. And for most people trying to access services within the state, it helps to learn what the state guidelines are for Medicaid. And so often also, Medicaid is um, an eligibility program with your diagnosis, but then also your finances. So um, it, it, in my mind, Medicaid is a little more complex. Medicaid requires um, you to really kind of research what your needs are before you, before you venture down the path to try to see what it is Medicaid covers. It helps to know what is your diagnosis? What are your limitations? Where will the services be provided? Will you do that in your home? Will you do that in a different setting, like a skilled care facility or an assisted living? But every state has different guidelines and, and the coverage can be different. Um, I know from 
my dad used to live in Florida and my mom lives in Georgia. And when we've looked to arrange for care for them, the guidelines are different between North Carolina, Georgia, and Florida. So it really depends on if you're going to keep that person in the state where they've been residing, then it helps to learn those rules. If you're going to relocate them to be closer to you, I think that's wise to look at what services are being provided in the state where they currently are compared to where you're going to relocate them to because they can be different and it can involve um, that they look at your monthly budget, they look at your assets, they look at whether or not you own a home, whether or not you own a car, all that stuff. So um, you're wise to ask the question, what are the differences between the two? But I would also encourage any listener to do some investigative work to try to learn what the rules are in the state where their loved one is, but then also consider where they might be going if that's not a permanent place for where they're going to be. That's really good. That's really good insight and advice to be sure that they are looking both at, at both locations or potentially potentially if there are several children and and potentially uh, that parent could go to one of several locations to look at all of those locations. Um, I, I, we're going to, I think we might talk about this later on, but as a general rule, you know, like in North Carolina, there aren't that many people who qualify for Medicaid. Um, I think we have, it's, a, it's, it's sort of one of those, um, I, I, not, not necessarily a myth, but there's just kind of an understanding or a thought sometimes that as you get older, you might be eligible for these things. And that's not always the case. So I investigate, I tell people to really investigate what services are available in your area. But then to your point, it's important to think about where they might be residing in the future, because you don't want to say, maybe move money around, or uh, I always say house money a certain way, you, 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 or, you know, like if you move it to a bank or you give it away, there are all kind of rules about that, that you don't want to sort of, sort of sabotage your arrangement because you thought you were doing the right thing when you, when maybe you, you needed some guidance on how to go about that process, what it really means to qualify and how you go about doing that. And, and what a perfect segue to another question. How, you know, how do people do this? I mean, the reality is most of us, most of us find ourselves thrust into this caregiving situation and walk around going clueless. How, where do you even know where to begin? So how does someone learn how to do this? How do they learn the best way about, you know, how, how to figure out how thing, how much things are going to cost regardless of where we live, you know, how to pay for it regardless of where we live. So when I was thinking about this earlier today, I thought to myself, we're in a new age and stage um, with, I think, caregiving and arranging for services for our loved ones, because it's no secret that people are living longer than ever before, and medical technology 
has been wonderful and the services and the access to good health care has been great. But it means that people have lived longer now than ever before. And I like to say it's because they've also gotten terrific caregiving um, along the way. But in doing that, it's what I think about now is I tell people, you need to sort of research what services might be available for you or your loved one as you're aging, just like you sought out a pediatrician, just like you when you, you know, if you were to have children, um, I, I had to first look at what insurance we had, and then I had to narrow down what services were available in my community, and then what could we afford to pay for, and then kind of how easy was it going to be to get to that location. So the same is true for this kind of care. I tell people to start local, to look for maybe a county aging program. Most every, well, every state should have an area agency on aging. And then typically that means those are regions within the state. And within that region, typically funding goes out to the counties or the townships or the local government to provide services for people that are 60 years of age and plus. And so often those are people that are who are knowledgeable of services in the area. Um, so I always say that's a great place to start. If you're, if you're going to go local, you know, go in and say, okay, who provides Meals on Wheels in the community that I live in? Call up that social worker and speak to that social worker because they've done an assessment of various and sundry people in the community. And while they're there, they've also wanted to learn what other services are available so they can tell the client or the person that they're assessing what services might be available to support them while they're in the home. So I think the county program is a great place to start. The second is because of, of us uh, aging and remaining in the world longer than before, there's a new concept of a professional called geriatric care managers. And I think geriatric care managers are a wonderful resource that um, for most people, those are private pay individual, uh, they're private pay opportunities, but more and more insurance is starting to see the value in them and are starting to reimburse for coverage for them. So a geriatric care manager typically is someone who has said that as a professional, they want to help assess a situation, and then provide guidance to you or that loved one about what services might be available in the area. Sometimes they, they will also coordinate those services for you. Sometimes they will help you um, learn what businesses are available that can help you to connect to those. Again, it's not something that's typically covered by Medicaid or by state funding. It's a private pay expense, but in the world that we live in, I say to some folks, that's sometimes the best money you can spend because you're busy, you know, doing investigative work. You're taking off time from work. You're trying to figure out what in the world is out there. You're tired. You're overwhelmed. You're not thinking straight. And if you can go to one person who's the expert in the area and they can provide you guidance, then I think that's money well spent. The third thing that I thought about was so oftentimes attorneys who are specializing in elder law are great resources. And for that reason, 
because of who they specialize in serving, they often have sought out people in the community to provide guidance, to provide expertise to their clients, to um, have an understanding of what might be available. So, you know, any more, I think elder law attorneys are, are in my mind a little bit different sometimes from people who specialize in estate planning. It helps to go with someone who is specialized in elder law in the state that you reside in to get some direction because state rules are different. And again, those people typically know who are the experts in the field and can give you some direction as to where to start. Last thing I thought about was um, folks who are in the profession of providing pastoral care or congregational care. There might be a congregational care nurse. It might be um, someone who's a chaplain in the hospital, chaplain, uh, say, with a hospice agency, or maybe a pastor or chaplain within a church or faith-based organization. So oftentimes those folks are aware of entities or businesses in the county or the township or the area that w- in which you live that they could get you started on, you know, maybe I should, you should call here to see if maybe that would be a place that could provide some guidance, suggestions, and services. I, as I sit and talk, Francis, I realize that we need to probably encourage people to put on their thinking cap and their investigative cap when they go about doing this. And I think so oftentimes that's really hard because families are dealing with crisis situations and stressful situations. And you, we probably need to remind them that when they're going down this path, it helps to kind of take a deep breath and kind of say, okay, I've got to find help. I've got to kind of plan that this is going to take a little time. This is not a phone call that you step out in the hallway and make and learn a lot of information. It really does involve time and an effort and probably energy (laughs) to kind of figure it out. But there are more and more people who are availing themselves to us or, or, you know, becoming people in the field that can help us with this process. It just takes time. Uh, you know, when you were when you're talking about that, uh, you know, it used to be that everybody talked about it takes a village to raise a child. My word, it takes a village to do to do this, to do the caregiving for an older adult loved one. And that is that's how it should be. I mean, there should be, there needs to be, but there should be lots of people surrounding you because there is absolutely no way that any one person can know everything. And so you have, you have some excellent, I mean, those four different people or places are so important and each of them can have a little different perspective mm-hmm. and a little different network of information. I, um, I I loved that you started with AAA with the Area Agency on Aging because they are always my go-to. If, if all else fails, if you don't know anywhere else to start, go to your triple, to your Area Agency on Aging because they they typically do know all the resources and often have a person on their staff who's designated as their, their something along the lines of a family caregiver support specialist. The title may be a little different, but, but 
but often they will have somebody who really is working specifically with the families who are caring for an older adult loved one. That's true. And, and you know, in anymore, we're seeing folks who are caring for an older person and sometimes a, a, a younger person. Uh, in my support groups that I facilitate, I have two or three situations where the daughter is paying for play, or caring for a mom who's 98, 99, or 100, and then there is a disabled adult or a younger um, child, but you know, young is a relative term. They might be 56, they might be 65. I mean, it just depends. So again, to start local with what services might be available, I think is helpful. And, 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 and the jargon sometimes, to your point, is important to know. So the Area Agency on Aging is different from the AAA, that is the automobile uh, kind of rescue service. Um, and so us and I get my husband teases me about that. He's like the AAA, Lexus, they don't help with older adults. And I was like, no, 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 no. Sorry, sorry, sorry. You know, the Area Agency on Aging. And then you need to probably be mindful that they're going to ask you how old the loved one is because so many services are specific to a certain age. But then you need to know sometimes the diagnosis of the loved one because those programs might be specific to certain illnesses or chronic diseases. So again, it helps to be informed um, as best you can when you start your investigative work. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you for the clarification that, that when I talk about a AAA, I'm not talking about the auto service. I'm That's talking right. About the area. You're absolutely correct. You mentioned this a few minutes ago, uh, but let me kind of hone in a little bit myths. Mm -hmm. Talk about myths because there are all kinds of, you know, all kinds of assumptions and understandings and some of them are absolutely accurate and some are really maybe not quite so accurate. So what kind of myths are out there that people may have heard about? Well, I think we've hit on one already a couple of times in our conversation and, and that is that there is a misunderstanding that Medicare takes care of everything uh, medical or care, quote unquote, related as we age. And that is not true. And um, we, we need to help folks have a better understanding of what Medicare does cover. Medicare is great. Don't, I, I don't want to paint a picture that Medicare is in any way not positive. It's, it's great. We're very fortunate to have those services and have the funds available to care for things that we need it when and if we need it. We're very fortunate in our country to have that, but it does not care for um, it, that provision does not typically care for folks in their home where they might need help with personal care, light housekeeping, grocery getting, meal preparation, um, transportation to and from the doctor, that kind of thing. So that's one of the myths I thought about. The second one is, and I think it depends on where you live. But I cannot tell you the number of people who are so disappointed that their doctor's office doesn't arrange for care in home, you know, when an incident occurs. And I think it's often in more rural settings that you'll see that they've gone to this one specific practice for a long time. They've had their children there. They've, you know, literally aged with this practitioner. And then there's this 
this hope or this expectation that that office is going to coordinate care for you, both not only in the practice, but outside of the practice, whether you go to rehab or go to skilled care or to assisted living, that I, I haven't found that to be true. And so people just sometimes have to learn the hard way that the doctor's office isn't usually responsible for things outside of the doctor's office, what takes place there. Um, the third one, this one's up close and personal for me. So I have learned that many individuals were told or have been told and sold insurance with the idea that when and if you needed it and you determined you, the person who paid the premiums, when and if you needed it, you could access that money and you could access the insurance. So for example, people who have paid for life insurance, maybe with a long-term care rider, long-term care insurance, cancer insurance, home health insurance, nursing home insurance. Um, what were some of the other ones I thought about? Um, Oh, sometimes you, you'll, I mean, years ago, they actually had certain specific diagnosis for cancer. Uh, uh, I mean, certain types of insurance for a certain disease. People thought when I paid those premiums, when and if I was ready and I thought I needed help, that not only would, could I call and say, okay, it's time for me to instigate my claim, <laughs> that they would automatically send the money to reimburse for whatever it is I need to be reimbursed for. And I have found that to not be true at all, that th that's sort of a myth. And that is um, mis people have been misled, I think, also, that um, it doesn't work that way. And you, there are often guidelines, very specific guidelines that have to be met in order to receive reimbursement or a check from the insurance company. And you also have to be able to figure out how to instigate that claim. You have to be capable of instigating that claim. And then you have to also be able to kind of follow up with those things to make that happen. And then once it happens, I think the other myth with that topic is that it's going to be until your money runs out, you know, whatever the insurance agreed to pay for, when in fact, that's not it at all either. There is an evaluation process that typically takes place so that they see that you are continuously eligible and are meeting the guidelines for you to get the check. So that... Um, that too is sort of a big ocean <laughs> that people have to dive into to try to figure out. Um, but I cannot tell you the number of people that I, I work with who come in and say, well, I worked at so-and-so and I've been paying for this long-term care insurance for the last 25 years and it's time. It's, I, I, I want to have somebody come in my home and help me clean and I want someone to help me mow my grass and, I, and it's time for someone to help take me to the grocery store. Well, that specific item may not be what was listed as eligibility in your policy. And so the insurance company may not deem you appropriate yet for that reimbursement of funds. So that's a big topic, but that's a myth that I see a lot. Um, and then the last one I was going to mention to you was kind of we've touched on it in the past, but 
I think people have this myth of an idea or I don't, I don't know how this ever kind of uh, became something that people thought, but I think they think that Medicaid in certain states will just pay for everything. You know, it just takes care of everything. It'll take care of 24 hour care in your home. It'll help pay for groceries. Um, if, if, if your income is at a certain level or below that Medicaid is the solution to everything. And that's not it. That's, it's, that's a, someone still has to have a place that they reside in. Someone still has to coordinate care. Someone still has to meet the criteria for Medicaid. Medicaid isn't, is is wonderful when, and if it works and you're eligible, but that's only a few people. There are only a few slots available for that type of funding, for that type of care. And I think the vast majority of people needing care don't meet the criteria for Medicaid. That is a whole lot of information and uh, red flags and, and all that kind of stuff. What I hear over and over and over, and certainly what we encourage people through ACAP to do is to not wait until you're in the crisis to, do, to begin doing the research. And certainly there is no way to anticipate every detail that you may bump into in terms of um, a loved one's condition or injury or need or any of that. But I, what I'm hearing interwoven with everything you're saying, Alexis, is go ahead and start really understanding what your options are and what your policies provide, what what is available in your community, you know, start start becoming familiar with that. And when I say your community, I mean either where where you live, the, the potential caregiver, or where the parents or the loved ones live. To start start now, really understanding what is there, what is available. Who do you go to? You know, what doors do you knock on when there is a need? Because as so many of us have experienced, when you're in the midst of that crisis, you know, mom and dad have gone to the hospital. They've been admitted potentially for a day or so, and they're getting ready to come out. And you're going, wait a minute. They're not ready to come home by themselves. You know, so now what? And you scramble and it is it is frantic time, just trying to put all the pieces together. So everything that you are saying, I keep hearing, go do the research now. Begin the research now so you at least know where to turn when when that, that crisis hits. So um, the term I like to use is responsible aging. And in my mind, we all need to be responsible agers. So if we're going to take a vitamin every day, we sort of need to kind of be responsible every day for how we're going to age. And in my mind, that means you're responsible all the way to the end till you pass away. You know, you're given thought to what might be available. And, and part of my reason for saying responsible aging is so that that might take the burden off of the caregiver. So oftentimes what I see is the burden falls on the caregiver and that can be so detrimental to the caregiver's health. Um, and if a little bit 
well, not even a little, uh, let's say a lot. What if a lot of research and a lot of investigative work went into how people were going to age and where they were going to be and what it might look like? The caregiver burden would be less. And so that's that's my little phrase that I always say is we need to work on being responsible agers. I, I love that. I, this is one of these times that I'm going to beg, borrow, or steal that idea. <laughs> I like that. And what you also are saying is that those of us who are aging, which is everybody, everybody, that that it is to it is our responsibility to do what we can to figure out where do we want to be. What does it look like? What are our finances? What options do we have? And at minimum, to put that together in one spot so that if we, for whatever reason, are not able to make those decisions and someone has to make the decisions for us and take that research farther, then they at least have one place that they can go to know what what we have already put in place or what we've already done. No, that's exactly right. Yeah, good stuff, good stuff. We have talked about so much, and this has been enormously helpful. Is there anything else? I mean, there is so much more to talk about, I know. But are there some other things, or is there anything else that we haven't covered that that you think but 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 this is really important. People really need to know this. Is there anything else? So I, I would encourage folks to think out of the box a little bit because it's not just professionals in geriatrics that are seeing uh, our community's age. This is becoming something that we're all addressing. And so in my mind, um, sort of think out of the box. So one of the things I always tell people is if your loved one is getting a check from a business that they retired from, research what is offered through the human resources department where they retired from for not only the individual, the care receiver, but for maybe the caregiver. See if they are offering uh, various and sundry services that maybe they weren't 20 years ago. Uh, well, 20 years ago, people weren't living nearly as long and people didn't have uh, the need for certain services. So I, I have seen that HR services are expanding and they too are looking at how to support their employee. And sometimes that trickles down to the retirees. So don't rule out um, the HR department from where your loved one might be receiving a pension or retirement check. Uh, it, I would be remiss if I didn't mention folks in the military to take advantage of any type of military service that maybe you haven't done before. Um, again, those who served in the military, I think, don't wait until you need to. Um, or you're in a crisis because goodness knows it. nothing in my mind, <laughs> happens fast when it deals with the military. It's sort of the hurry up and wait kind of thing. But there are different programs that might be supportive to the loved one if they were in the military and they qualify for those services. And then there's a program called the Veterans Aid and Attendance Program that is, again, you have to be eligible. You have to meet a certain criteria financially. 
um, need help with activities of daily living and have to have served one day of active wartime in a within a 90 consecutive day period with the military. But there might be some supportive funds. I call it a budget booster that might be available to support someone both in home and assisted living and nursing care. It's one of the few programs, Veterans Aid and Attendance, that is also something that a spouse may benefit from, even if they did not participate in the military or were not an active person in the military. So we shouldn't forget about military options or military support for our veterans and their families. The third thing I thought about um, was if you're a family caregiver and you're working, and so many of us are, ask your employee assistance program what they might have, the EAP program, to see if they offer any types of um caregiver navigation services. They may contract with a geriatric care manager. They may pay for counseling services um, or um, uh, have paid programming for loved ones or you, the caregiver, to participate in. Again, so many businesses are seeing that they can retain their employees better if they are helping them with their caregiving duties so many of them are looking into what creative ways to do that. So again, don't don't just think um, traditional old ways of doing things for caring for a loved one. Think out of the box. Look at what uh, your workplace may provide. And then, interestingly enough, I have seen and have benefited from encouraging families to speak with faith-based organizations fraternal organizations, sororities, um, uh, like the Retired Teachers Association. So oftentimes in different parts of our country, not every state, not every community, but I have experienced and watched these organizations, these groups of people provide support to their members. And so sometimes it's a financial incentive or a, a a pension or a perk or a stipend. Sometimes it's access to services if you're an active member. Um, but don't rule those things out either because they too are trying to support their membership. And they see that these are opportunities to be creative and serve their membership in ways maybe they didn't do it before. So it's important to encourage people to ask those questions again it helps if you know your loved one and know maybe where they spent their time, their energy, their their efforts to see if maybe those things can support you and then that loved one now where they're residing. I, I love the fact that you, that you keep talking about, in essence, that we are at a very different place now than we were several years ago even because there are, because there are so many more of us who are aging and uh, and so yeah there there are all kinds of opportunities that were not in place five years ago that may be there now yeah yeah alexis this is excellent information really meaningful information thank you so much and to you, to you our listeners thank you for being part of this for for listening to this. 
um, we hope that it's been helpful to you and that you'll share it with others who you think may benefit. This program is part of the Mesh Network of online shows and podcasts. You may find more of our, of our Caregiver Community podcast on any of the platforms where you listen to podcasts. You will also find our podcast on our website, www.acapcommunity.org. And while you're on our site, we hope that you'll take a few minutes and learn more about ACAP, our educational programs, and our local chapters. And if there are other topics you would like for us to address as a podcast, please do let us know. As we say so often in ACAP, regardless of our age, background, our education, our career, or anything else, when it's our mother, our father, our loved one who needs help, caring for that person and advocating that person becomes very personal and extremely important. So please care well for your loved ones, but remember to take care of you also. Stay well. Bye for now. Thanks, Francis. Thank you. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.